Chapter Twenty Nine of Etiquette. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chris Gladys. Etiquette in Society, in Business, in Politics, and at Home by Emily Post. Chapter Twenty Nine. THE FUNDAMENTALS OF GOOD BEHAVIOR Far more important than any mere dictum of etiquette is the fundamental code of honor, without strict observance of which no man, no matter how polished, can be considered a gentleman. The honor of a gentleman demands the inviability of his word, and the incorruptibility of his principles. He is the descendant of the knight, the crusader. He is the defender of the defenseless, and the champion of justice, or he is not a gentleman. Decencies of Behavior A gentleman does not, and a man who aspires to be one, must not, ever, borrow money from a woman, nor should he, except in unexpected circumstances, borrow money from a man. Money borrowed without security is a debt of honor which must be paid without fail and promptly as possible. The debts incurred by a deceased parent, brother, sister, or grown child are assumed by honorable men and women as debts of honor. A gentleman never takes advantage of a woman in a business dealing, nor of the poor or the helpless. One who is not well off does not sponge but pays his own way to the utmost of his ability. One who is rich does not make a display of his money or his possessions. Only a vulgarian talks ceaselessly about how much this or that cost him. A very well-bred man intensely dislikes the mention of money, and never speaks of it, out of business hours, if he can avoid it. A gentleman never discusses his family affairs, either in public or with acquaintances, nor does he speak more than casually about his wife. A man is a cad who tells anyone, no matter who, what his wife told him in confidence, or describes what she looks like in her bedroom. To impart details of her beauty is scarcely better than to publish her blemishes. To do either is unspeakable. Nor does a gentleman ever criticize the behavior of a wife whose conduct is scandalous. What he says to her in the privacy of their own apartments is no one's affair but his own. But he must never treat her with disrespect before their children, or a servant, or anyone. A man of honor never seeks publicly to divorce his wife, no matter what he believes her conduct to have been. But for the protection of his own name and that of the children, he allows her to get her freedom on other than criminal grounds. No matter who he may be, whether rich or poor, in high life or low, the man who publicly besmirches his wife's name besmirches still more his own, and proves that he is not, was not, and never will be a gentleman. No gentleman goes to a lady's house if he is affected by alcohol. A gentleman, seeing a young man who is not entirely himself in the presence of ladies, 
quietly induces the youth to depart. An older man, addicted to the use of too much alcohol, need not be discussed, since he ceases to be asked to the houses of ladies. A gentleman does not lose control of his temper. In fact, in his own self-control under difficult or dangerous circumstances lies his chief ascendancy over others, who impulsively betray every emotion which animates them. Exhibitions of anger, fear, hatred, embarrassment, ardor, or hilarity are all bad form in public, and bad form is merely an action which jars the sensibilities of others. A gentleman does not show a letter written by a lady, unless perhaps to a very intimate friend, if the letter is entirely impersonal and written by someone who is equally the friend of the one to whom it is shown. But the occasions when the letter of a woman may be shown properly by a man are so few that it is safest to make it a rule never to mention a woman's letter. A gentleman does not bow to a lady from a club window, nor, according to good form, should ladies ever be discussed in a man's club. A man whose social position is self-made is apt to be detected by his continual cataloguing of prominent names. Mr. Parvenu invariably interlards his conversation with, When I was dining at the Bobo Gildings, or even at Lucy Gildings, and quite often accentuates, in his ignorance, those of rather second-rate, though conspicuous, position. I was spending last weekend with the rich and vulgars. Or, my great friends, the gotta-crusts. When a so-called gentleman insists on imparting information interesting only to the social register, shun him. The born gentleman avoids the mention of names exactly as he avoids the mention of what things cost. Both are an abomination to his soul. A gentleman's manners are an integral part of him, and are the same whether in his dressing-room or in a ballroom, whether in talking to Mrs. Worldly or to the laundress bringing in his clothes. He whose manners are only put on in company is a veneered gentleman, not a real one. A man of breeding does not slap strangers on the back, nor so much as lay his fingertips on a lady. Nor does he punctuate his conversation by pushing or nudging or patting people, nor take his conversation out of the drawing-room. Notwithstanding the advertisements in the most dignified magazines, a discussion of underwear and toilet articles and their merit or their use is unpleasant in polite conversation. All thoroughbred people are considerate of the feelings of others, no matter what the station of the others may be. Thackeray's climber, who licks the boots of those above him and kicks the faces of those below him on the social ladder, is a very good illustration of what a gentleman is not. A gentleman never takes advantage of another's helplessness or ignorance, 
and assumes that no gentleman will take advantage of him. Simplicity and Unconsciousness of Self These words have been literally sprinkled through the pages of this book, yet it is doubtful if they convey a clear idea of the attributes meant. Unconsciousness of self is not so much unselfishness as it is the mental ability to extinguish all thoughts of oneself, exactly as one turns out the light. Simplicity is like it, in that it also has a quality of self-effacement, but it really means a love of the essential and of directness. Simple people put no trimmings on their phrases nor in their manners. But remember, simplicity is not crudeness nor anything like it. On the contrary, simplicity of speech and manners means language in its purest, most limpid form, and manners of such perfection that they do not suggest manner at all. THE INSTINCTS OF A LADY The instincts of a lady are much the same as those of a gentleman. She is equally punctilious about her debts, equally averse to pressing her advantage, especially if her adversary is helpless or poor. As an unhappy wife, her dignity demands that she never show her disapproval of her husband, no matter how publicly he slights or outrages her. If she has been so unfortunate as to have married a man not a gentleman, to draw attention to his behavior would put herself on his level. If it comes actually to the point where she divorces him, she discusses her situation, naturally, with her parents or her brother or whoever are her nearest and wisest relatives, but she shuns publicity and avoids discussing her affairs with anyone outside of her immediate family. One cannot too strongly censure the unspeakable vulgarity of the woman so unfortunate as to be obliged to go through divorce proceedings, who confides the private details of her life to reporters. THE HALLMARK OF THE CLIMBER Nothing so blatantly proclaims a woman climber as the repetition of prominent names, the owners of which she must have struggled to know. Otherwise, why so eagerly boast of the achievement? Nobody cares whom she knows, nobody, that is, but a climber like herself. To those who were born and who live, no matter how quietly, in the security of a perfectly good ledge above and away from the social ladder's rungs, the evidence of one frantically climbing and trying to vault her exalted position is merely ludicrous. All thoroughbred women and men are considerate of others less fortunately placed, especially of those in their employ. One of the tests by which to distinguish between the woman of breeding and the woman merely of wealth is to notice the way she speaks to dependents. Queen Victoria's duchesses, those great ladies of grand manner, were the very ones who, on entering the house of a close friend, said, How do you do, Hawkins, to a butler, and to a sister duchess's maid, Good morning, Jenkins. A Maryland lady, still living on the estate granted to her family three generations before the Revolution, 
is quite as polite to her friend's servants as to her friends themselves. When you see a woman in silks and sables and diamonds speak to a little errand-girl or a footman or a scullery-maid as though they were the dirt under her feet, you may be sure of one thing. She hasn't come a very long way from the ground herself. End of chapter 29